Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Me First, a podcast all about authentic conversations between female physicians. I am your super sassy host, Dr. Erin Wiseman, and I'm hoping that through my conversations with female colleagues that you are seeing that you are no longer alone in medicine and that it's bringing you encouragement and inspiration, a little bit of joy and hope and laughter into your life and your practice. So I am your physician coach, and I'm just so glad to be with you today on episode number 57. I'm talking with Dr. Tracy Thorine. She's an amazing emergency medicine physician at Duke University, and she's also going to tell you about her role in the simulation lab. Her word today is inspired, and one of the questions that she talks about that she brings up in her life most recently is, what inspires me? So listen to our conversation, and then stick around afterward for a kick of encouragement about what inspires you. All right, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dr. Me First. I have another very special guest who I would love for her to introduce herself. Hi, uh, I'm Tracy Thoreen. I'm here in North Carolina. I currently serve as the Director of Simulation Education for our Emergency Medicine Residency Program at Duke University, and I'm an Associate Professor there. Uh, My professional interests are in simulation education and in clinical informatics, And that's me, and I'm living my best life here with my two kids and my husband. And as I was just talking about, about getting my bathrooms caulked today, which is due before going to work later. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So when I think of, like, Sim Lab, I think back to, like, medical school with the, like, plastic dummy with the mouth, you know. Is that what your guys' sim is, or you mean, do you have more of the technologically advanced stuff? So we have a little bit of everything. I mean, we have task trainers as well as those high-fidelity mannequins that you're talking about. It used to be in the old days, I remember even when I was a resident, that, you know, they had those, as you were talking about, the super plastic mannequins that literally you could just, you know, your recessa Annie, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? And now they've come quite a long way as far as the fidelity of the mannequins. Uh, so we have an adult mannequin and a sim baby, which a lot of places have now. And then we have several task trainers for doing everything from central lines to LPs, all that kind of stuff too. And we are fortunate in that although we don't have a centralized sim center for all of the folks who use simulation at Duke, we have some wonderful areas like our school of nursing, our surgical group, us that, that do simulation on a regular basis and can bounce around with ideas and especially with these uh, expensive tools to use. Absolutely. So much fun. I remember getting introduced to the Sim Lab as a first year medical student and they're like, meet your first patient. That's how we want you to treat them. And so I always kind of go back to that. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful place to learn. It's a wonderful place to make mistakes. And so then you can, you know, go rise from that. And it's okay. And I like it that it's an okay place to make mistakes and it's totally acceptable. Yeah. And I think unlike the devastation that you can feel when you have a patient error, you still feel some of that with with a mannequin when you're allowed to make an error and it shows, but it's so memorable and you can carry that over to a real patient encounter. So I love that. 
how did you get into that? Was it just like an opening that popped open or were you very like purposeful into it? Yes. Yeah, so when I first started as an attending, I think after literally in during my first year at an attending, I have an unusual case in that I worked at the same job twice <laughs> divided uh, in time. So my very first job as an attending position was also at Duke University. And at that time, I was sort of brand new uh, and didn't have a special niche. You know, back when I finished residency in 2002, there weren't as many fellowships as we see now in, in emergency medicine. And at that time, uh, simulation was already established and happening in anesthesia, but emergency medicine was a really new uh, forum for using that tool for education. And I had the opportunity at that time, our prior residency director was like, hey, are you, are you interested in doing more? You know, how would you like to learn about this? And I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I was able to get a scholarship to do essentially simulation training mini mini fellowship up at Harvard, who's had one of the longest running simulation training up there and got the opportunity to be one of the, the first folks who ran through that program. And so I've been doing it since then, which I believe that was in 2003 or 2004. So it's been a long time. And I always have students and residents ask me now, like, oh, where'd you do your fellowship? And I was like, well, there wasn't a fellowship back then. I was a pre-fellowship. <laughs> Grandfathered <Yeah>. in, baby. <laughs> Love it. Well, we totally got off topic, but that's okay because that's the whole motto of this podcast. But you picked the word inspired today for us to finish our conversation on. Tell me why you picked that. You know, I think like the some of the buzz has been going around over a few years now, but I think particularly now with burnout, resilience, however you want to term those in the positive or negative light. And I had a lot of that too. I mean, I've been, they said, in practice. Uh, for quite a few years now, and certainly there are ups and downs in, in going through a career and how you practice. And I think when I started to think about um, this new year, kind of in the spirit of a new year, but also in the spirit of what did I really want to do that would make me feel satisfied kind of going into my latter years of being an attending, was what inspires me. And lately, that's changed a lot from when I first started medicine. So things like exploring new technology outside of even what I do in education, but things like podcasts and listening to new people's ideas and innovations in social media, things along more of even a business line outside of medicine, which I think is so important and exciting for people who did the traditional path of medicine and now they're thinking out of the box, like what else is going to get their selves out there, I think is pretty amazing. Like that didn't used to exist on such a traditional line of, of work, if you, you know, if you can call it that. So I've been inspired by people like you, people otherwise who are coming outside of these communities and lives that we know nothing about to kind of explore more people, explore more things. I think even in myself, I think about, well, what's important to me even outside of medicine and how do I promote that and why do I want to be known just as a doctor? You know, for myself, I think in my 40s is another time as a female that I was feeling like, ah, I feel like I'm losing it after kids and keeping in shape and being having nutrition and kind of getting it all together. So I think those aspects of my life, I've been really inspired to learn more about learn more about things like nutrition that I didn't ever really have formal courses in. 
but plays such a big role, I find, in my everyday life, both with my kids and myself. Yeah, and I think it's so important just for our own well-being to staying in the miracle of inspiration. When it's the hum-ho, the mundane, that you kind of lose it a little bit. And that's why I love doing this podcast because I get these guests on here and they just blow my mind. Like you doing sim stuff or like, I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing that you've made a career out of that. I'm so inspired by it. Well, that's, I, I think it's funny that you say that because I think we forget too, right? We get so inside like our own worlds that everyone's awesome around us. And you're like, I don't really feel that awesome. <laughs> I don't really feel that special. And then you you find that there's a whole group of people that you can inspire yourself um, with just authenticity and just some things that you didn't realize were a little more special or a little bit more unique what, from what other people are going through. And I find that I'm inspired by people all the time, and they may not even realize it with either their attitudes or the work that they do or their drive or information that they know that I hadn't thought about that I think so too. And I think we get so much with our blinders on, just like you said, where we're like, we forget our significance or like that we're important because we're around all these other phenomenal, amazing physicians. And like, you know, you just saying you're at like Duke University, I'm like, holy shit, like she's big up there. But really, if we like step back and we're like, we're all people. And then we kind of get outside of our own box. I know the other day I was just talking to somebody about my experience as family medicine physician and delivering babies and how I delivered a couple hundred of them. And they were just floored. But like to me, that was just the like hum-ho, mundane, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think about that too in the ER. Like, you know, their shifts, you save somebody's life. Like their story continued on because they saw you. But so many times we kind of just get wrapped up in like the and then go moving on, like stepping back. We should be like, holy shit, we are inspirational. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's funny. I feel like lately, I remember when I was a brand new attending, I never liked, I didn't love working with students. And it's funny. I don't know. I liked working with residents and kind of that next level learner. And it's funny. I've kind of come full circle um, because now I love working with students and I love having that spark of just almost like anything I could, I could offer up to them as a piece of advice that they're like, wow, that's the best thing ever. And it, and it, it inspires me back to remember why I went into medicine. And it really does for them to get that like you mentioned a little bit, that first patient experience. I know tonight I work, I do a clinic once or twice a month that is an interprofessional clinic working with just a couple of students and a nurse and nursing student and sometimes our physical therapy folks or our PAs. And I forget just in that little bit slowed down pace outside of the ER and telling the patients really that we're just going to be talking about you and we're going to be examining you. I forget how much I enjoy patients and how much I enjoy seeing a learner see something for the first time. Like, oh my gosh, I saw the tympanic membrane. Like, you know, like it's so amazing. Whereas I'm like, it is amazing, right? Like who, you know, you don't, no other job do you look in people's orifices, right? Yeah, and like actually know what you're seeing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so... So yeah, I think, and that's part of it too, this year of just picking, um, for me, picking things that really add a piece of joy and a piece of 
inspiration to my day or my month or my year overall is really what, what I would like. And I hope most people would really look for those pieces that just don't keep them on the, the treadmill of life. <laughs> yeah, to, to like stop. And I know gratitude is talked about a lot, but I think that's maybe one way that you can find that inspiration and joy is like looking around and being like, wow, I'm really grateful that I've learned this art of medicine. And yeah. That sort of thing. When you're talking about medical students, I was thinking about everybody loves Raymond and Frank, the older, like when he's like sniffing his grandchildren's head. That's what I feel like with medical <laughs> students sometimes. It's like I just want to like pull off their energy because they're so yeah. like fresh and new and everything is is so like glowing to them that I'm like, yeah. oh, poor babies, let's just rub on you a little bit. Keep that spark. Keep it. It's true, right? Well, and even being able to tell them, like, how do you keep it, right? Because life is life, and, and it goes around in your, you know, your job slash career. You know, it can take some twists and turns, uh, for sure. So, yeah, I really do. Um, yeah. So that's what I, I literally, these, these uh, first three months, which I, my husband and I were just remarking this morning, and I was like, I can't believe it's almost the end of March. Like, it's like flying by, I feel like this year and just really trying to be mindful and, and keeping in mind some goals of like, what do I want to accomplish each month, each week? Like what's on the agenda? Yeah. I know it that's one thing I've, I've been doing is like, where can we find joy in this? Even if it's like the worst task, where can we find joy in this? I've been telling my kids that too. And it's been funny. The other day I was, I think I was complaining about the kids' toys being everywhere. And my youngest was like, or my middle said, mommy, where can we find joy in this? And I was like, damn it. You guys are the best life coaches there are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Out of mouths and beans right there. Exactly. And patience too. Don't you feel like sometimes that little kick of encouragement can come from just the oddest places. And I find sometimes patients speak to my heart more than probably what I do for them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because uh, you do, right? We live in our own little bubbles and you forget what it could be like in someone else's. Mm -hmm. uh, you forget. You think sometimes, again, depending on sort of your, your crowd, your people you're around professionally, that, you know, everyone is, you know, living their best life, the grass is greener, and then you forget when you have a patient that just, again, that smallest thing makes such a difference, and you thought it was nothing, mm -hmm. and it made such a difference, so I think it, yeah, it again sort of brings you back, like, okay, the whole world is not the doctor's world, <laughs> it's not. And that's why it's, I think, so nice to hear um, different people's stories, like their paths on how they got to point A medical school to now baller career and all the junk in between, because I think that makes mm -hmm. us appreciate um, just the whole journey of it all and the human experience of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, awesome. If our listeners want to find out more about you or hang out with you, where can they go? Yeah, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, they can pass it through Erin. Um, if you want to see any of my work, if you really are looking for some more tools for your simulation education, uh, I did come out with a book uh, several years ago that one of my great friends and former residents, Sarah Scott, 
edited with me called the Emergency Medicine Stimulation Workbook, a tool for bringing the curriculum to life. So it is a whole set of emergency medicine-based cases and all the imaging and tools you might need. So that's kind of a fun thing if you're at some place new or some place with less resources and you want to do some simulation. That's amazing. You don't know this about me, but I am a total worksheet workbook nerd. <laughs> like I love that stuff. So just hearing that you published one, I'm like, oh my God, you're my new BF. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes so everybody can um, find it out. Now, is it with your workbook, is there any color pages in it? Um, I was trying to think. I know there's no color pages. There is an online component that has all the images and stuff. So oh, good, good. There isn't I any, love it. But it is spiral bound, so you can open it like that. That's so much better. I'm glad you thought ahead on that because there's a lot of people who are not thinking ahead as far as this. This conversation has been so delightful. Thank you so much for coming on the Dr. Me First podcast. And you really do inspire me. Oh, thanks so much, Erin. I really appreciate it. Wasn't that another great conversation? All right, now is time for the kick of encouragement. And I am going to do it a little bit different today. So as we were talking about with Dr. Tracy, you know, what inspires us? And the thing is, when I was sitting back preparing to talk about this, I thought, oh my gosh, there are so many physicians who can't even appreciate or come into inspiration because they are like a dyspneic COPD exacerbation. Like they are so air hungry, they are so depleted, they are so hypoxic and retracting that we can't talk about like inspiration and like loving everything around you and, and full gratitude because we gotta take care of like the immediate thing. So go with me on this journey when I'm talking about getting us well in the format of a COPD exacerbation. So I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, you know, what do we do typically for people who present? Well, you know, one of the first things I'm doing is, you know, getting a neb open, getting it on them, getting them uh, the medicine, because it's so important, you know, first and foremost, you can't receive that air that you need, that oxygen that you need, if your airways are so tight that it can't even get in. So I ask you, think about what do you need as far as to get you open a little bit? to get you to be able to just receive any kind of help. Is it a friend reaching out to you? Is it an email? Is it a book? What do you need to get more opened up to receive the help that you need? And then the second thing, of course, is juicing you up with some steroids. You know, when I think about in a COPD exacerbation, it's always amazing to me the impact that steroids make in our patients and decreasing that inflammation. And so that to me is when I'm infusing people with self-care and true self-care and getting back to their basic needs and really juicing them up, like getting full sleep that you need, getting comfort, making sure you're eating great foods and hydrating your body with water, you know, making sure that your basic needs are, are adequate, but also juicing that up. And particularly with activities that you need to decrease your stress levels, you know, all those self-care things that we talk about. And then the next thing I think about, like when nasal cannula is just not cutting it, or you've got a non-rebreather on them, and you're getting, you get the respiratory therapist, and you're pulling out that BiPAP. You know, so many times 
we just need to go ahead and up the pressure. So many times as physicians, we're just like, oh, you know, we'll just do a little bit and it'll get better. No, my friends, when it is time to get out the BiPAP, it is time to get it out and use it and up that pressure and get that oxygen and air in that that patient needs who's air hungry. So just like you, if you're in a place in your career and, and you just need a little bit extra support, Think about reaching out to somebody who can be your BiPAP. Hell, I want to be your BiPAP. I promise I'll take it off eventually and you won't feel like you've got something strapped to your head forever. But dang it, sometimes don't we need that just to regulate our levels, to get things quickly back where we need to. You know, and all in all, I was thinking too along this COPD model is like, well, when do you start antibiotics? But I would say that's when you sit down and you really assess the situation, just like we do in a clinical setting with labs. After you've really sat back and be like, okay, what's working in our life? What's not working in our life? How bad are the labs in our life? That's when you decide if you need to attack the toxicity or the sepsis that's going on and throwing on an antibiotic. So I don't know. Maybe you do need an antibiotic. Think about it a little bit. But here's the thing, though. Using this model and getting yourself well Isn't it amazing when you see a patient in the evening and you round on them in the morning or the next day or you check in on them and they just look so much better? I mean, they looked like crap when you put them on the BiPAP and just how with just these small interventions, just like we were talking in this interview that many times we don't even think are significant or important or amazing that they really are and they really change life. So if you can't answer the question, what inspires me? And am I doing it? I'd have you pull back to this COPD exacerbation example of how to get yourself well. And maybe the measures that you need to call in. Maybe you need some NEBS and some steroids and you're good to go. Maybe you need to up the ante and you need to be on a non-rebreather. Maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's time for BiPAP and IV antibiotics. But no matter where it's at, just remember that help is available. And in the morning, you're going to look so much better. As always, my friends, I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. I hope this silly clinical uh, parallel to life coaching has been fun to you. And I just want to remind you, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye. Bye.